Welcome to another episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast with your hosts, David and Nick. In this episode, Ben Affleck steps down from directing. Snagglepuss has a gay old time. The Justice League of America gets rebirthed. And Old Man Logan goes crazy. Stay tuned for all this and more. Welcome, everybody, to a brand new episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast. You all know my voice. I am David Luzader, and I am joined, as always, by the one, the only, Nick Shermooksness. Hello, everyone. Glad to be here again. Round of applause, everybody. Please, please, everybody sit down. This riot will not do. Ugh, get security in here. They're going wild. They're animals. I just, whenever I walk out into a public space, I'm just, I'm ravaged by other humans. It's it's a disease, really. It's a real problem. This is why we can't have nice things. Mostly why we can't have nice things. Very true. I feel like I get told that every day. By who, mostly? Everyone. Everyone is just like, hey, Nick, this this is why we can't have nice things. I just like, I feel like I'm a pretty secure, like I'm a very open-minded, secure, just like I'm going with the flow kind of dude. And yet somehow that translates into, it doesn't matter like my, my work environment or my, my social environment or whatever. I'm always that kind of the guy that gets to be the butt of jokes. And like, I take it Uh and like, and I, and I don't like, I don't just, I don't suffer it per se, but like, I think I, I make it very easy for, like I, I'm really good at setting up the zings for myself. I'm a self-zinger. Uh-huh. Which I guess just makes me an idiot. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, we are back again for another episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast. Pa- Welcome to the he- my, uh... Heck Yeah Comics Pancakes. We are very excited <laughs> to be here as your breakfast item this morning. We Nick, should definitely eat pancakes one of these days on the show. I have a, I have a, I have a question for you. Uh, oh, okay. Uh-huh. Why why is Idris Elba in all the Disney movies all of a sudden? What else is he in? I, what else has he been in? Uh, I mean, I think he did a voice in Jungle Book. Uh, he did a voice in Jungle Book. He did a voice in Zootopia. And I was watching. You're right, he did. I was watching Finding Dory earlier, and guess who shows up in that? Idris Elba. He must really like Disney movies. He must really like money, is what I'm thinking. But uh, it's like he's got one of those voices that I can I can pick up instantly and i just Mm -hmm. i know it like some other actors i'm like oh that voice is familiar like let me let me look it up but idris elba man as soon as i hear the the sweet sweet tones of idris elba's voice i'm like i know that i know that guy it's just you're you're in you're good i zero in um that's a great question i mean besides that he's an in-demand commodity i think because he has such a distinctive and articulate voice probably makes him work well for animated movies. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's probably why. I mean, that would Some, that would also make sense. Sometimes there's, there's certain questions in the world that we ask, I think humanity asks, and sometimes like the answer is really like simple, like he's got a great voice, why wouldn't Disney use him in all their products? Mm-hmm. Instead of like a long, drawn-out, convoluted discussion about why he is in fact involved in multiple Disney products. Um, but, you know, he's I, I, I would cast Idris Elba in everything. I want to play, I want to like cast Idris Elba as my inner monologue. I want to find a way to make that happen so that when I think, it's not in my voice, but uh, in the voice of Idris Elba. How awesome would that be if we could customize our own inner voice, David? That is a fantastic idea, and I hope science catches up to it. Yeah, that is a uh, that is a five dollar idea. You can take that one to the store. Uh, whenever whoever out there, whatever genius patents that, I just want you to remember uh, at least ten percent of that comes back this way. Not to and the... you heard it here first on Heck Yeah Comics. Well, not not no 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 not to the Heck Yeah Comics podcast to uh, to David oh. Luzader personally. But I mean, I. I said it was a good idea. Like I should get two percent. 
you know, uh, you and I can discuss that uh, on a future date. Uh, but I just right now, for right now, just that 10% should be coming straight to me. And uh, and I'll just roll around on the giant piles of cash. Because this is like, this is a, a billion dollar idea. I mean, if, if, it, if we could get it to work... Hundred percent, absolutely yes. Who would you who would you pick to be your inner monologue? Oh, well, you already took Idris Elba. Yeah, Idris Elba's so gone. Maybe, it's, this, maybe, is a, uh, this is a world where you can head. only pick one voice per person. Ah, uh, Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson, interesting. I thought you wouldn't go with Patrick Stewart for some reason. Patrick Stewart's a good one. Patrick Stewart is a good one, but I am a unabashed Liam Neeson fan. I mean, not like it's a, a guilty pleasure or anything. How but, dare uh, you? <laughs> but no, Liam Neeson, you know, a uh, great actor, uh, love his movies, and he does have a distinct voice. And if if he could narrate my life, like if I just knew that in my head, like if I'm like, you know, I should probably like, I should I should really do this. And he's just like doing his taken monologue in my head. Like I feel like I'd be very motivated knowing that there's an, an angry, a man, you know, angry CIA operative coming to hunt me down. So wait, so so you don't you don't just want him narrating your thoughts. You want him like breathing down your neck when you're not doing things. You want you, you like, want your inner thoughts to attack you. You don't not attack me. Just I, I mean maybe like when like I'll hear his voice even when I'm just thinking of like man I like peanut butter you know but hear that in a Liam Neeson voice. But also like that sometimes like maybe I won't be like talking to myself in my head and Liam Neeson will just chime in almost like I'm giving Liam Neeson a script of my thoughts. But sometimes he gets frustrated with the script I give him, and he tears it up and just tells me like it is. Okay, hold up. These are these are. Wait, so you're wanting Liam Neeson to live in your brain, and and dictate yeah. your thoughts? Like this is going a little beyond the original just, idea that was presented. You know what? But I mean, some ideas just need to be expanded upon, David, and we need to create a Liam Neeson brain. A Liam yeah. Neeson brain. Like yeah. not Liam Neeson's brain, Liam Neeson in your brain. Yes, yeah, like like the movie Inside Out, but instead of they're all different emotions, they're all just Liam Neeson. Huh? Was was Idris Elba in Inside? I don't think he was. I think that's one that uh, he escaped. Well, you said he was in. Well, I guess he wasn't Finding Dory, so that's Pixar. Which because I mean, sometimes like Disney does their own movies, like Bolt and um, Big Hero Six, which aren't Pixar movies. Um, so I thought some, they might not have like crossover between voice actors. Um, you know, I wonder if like who in Toy Story, who it's a uh, Tom Hanks and uh, Tim, Tim Allen. Allen. Right? I was, did you also want to say Woody Allen? A little bit. <laughs> That's where my brain um, was. Um, but you know, like I feel like I can't think of any other, and it's maybe there. I mean, with the exception of Tom Hanks doing Polar Express because he basically was playing himself in motion capture. Um, but I can't think of any other animated movies where those guys have done the voice acting. Because when I, when I, you know, you think of like Woody and Buzz, and like if like you're like that's Woody and Buzz, and suddenly you're hearing, you know, their voices on other characters. I mean, granted, there's obviously voice actors like Spike Spiegel's voice actor, you know, that does everything, so you do hear it, but like. On to the news. <laughs> oh, man, what a transition. So, uh, yeah, I guess we'll just we'll go ahead and talk about some news. Our top story today. <laughs> After a disappointing summer, Humpty Dumpty has a great fall. All right, well, some big stuff has happened in the comic world, and we are here to throw it in your face. And probably the biggest story, and I would say saddest story for us right now, is that Ben Affleck will no longer be directing the solo Batman film. Aww. That is sad. Aww. It's, and, I mean, I, weirdly enough, it, I mean, I, it's it not wow, okay, Nick. Um, I was excited to see what a Ben Affleck take on a solo Batman film would be. At the same time, I almost hope that when this iteration of the DC universe gets shuffled off to its mortal coil and that they reboot again and we get the next generation of Batman, that Ben Affleck could come back and direct someone else's Batman. Because as much as I do enjoy the aesthetic of Ben Affleck as Batman, he's already kind of constrained by the world created by Man of Steel and Batman v Superman. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, obviously he's committed to playing Bruce Wayne or Bruce Wayne Batman. He's only committed to playing Batman. Someone else must play Bruce Bruce Wayne in the next Batman movie. Um, ah, ah. He's obviously what? Sorry, uh, there was. I went on a news site to try to find the exact statement, and uh, there was an auto playing video, which was Hate very those. annoying. Yes. Hate auto playing videos. Most things I have are just I'm just like permanently on on mute now, just in case a video comes up. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, obviously he's still committed to producing and, and starring in, in, as Batman. But, you know, I think that if he was left to his own devices and created his own Batman universe, it, you know, being that he's a big fan, but also a very accomplished writer and director, he would could potentially come up with something pretty cool. But, you know, as much as I don't dislike his, his Snyder Batman, like, I'm not like... As bummed as I thought I, I would have been at this news, it's like okay, it's happening. He's still obviously going to have a strong creative hand in the production of the movie. Uh, he's still starring in it, you know. So I'm sure the end product will still be good. Fingers yeah. crossed. But uh, you know, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. And so the the official statement from uh, Ben Affleck, what he said is, there are certain characters who hold a special place in the hearts of millions. Uh, performing this role demands focus, passion, and the very best best performance I can give. Uh, which is quite the statement. And the, the studio has said that they mutually uh, support this decision, that this was something that was come to by both parties. Now, obviously, there was a lot of lot of rumors flying around where Ben Affleck was like, well, I'm not going to direct it if things aren't this way, this way, or this way. Uh, and it's hard to say how much of that, you know, how much of that is actually true, how much of that has affected this decision. Uh, some people are, are commenting on the movie Live by Night, which was Affleck's last film, which has been kind of a flop. Didn't get the Oscar attention that it was rumored to get, uh, and and has kind of been a box office uh, box office bomb, as it were. Yeah, I got a thirty two percent. Yeah, no, it's not it's not great. And you know, coming off that to direct a, a big superhero film they probably weren't super excited about the prospect um i think part of it has to be you know training for a role like this physically is just really demanding and i think maybe he got a little bit of taste of it like because they they're at the point where they would have been doing pre-production uh but the role of a director you're doing a lot of stuff and to also have to be in intense training you know three days a week uh to just be really really strict on on a lot of stuff probably was not it's not easy to balance no i'm trying to say and so this decision may have been made um maybe for his mental health as well and and, you know we don't we don't have the full reason we have the reason they give which sounds very pr but i it doesn't sound like there was a big split and that they stepped away um so i'm i'm curious to see where things go from here mm-hmm. yeah no it's um yeah it's a shame but i mean at the end of the day if it's what for what's you know ben affleck could have stayed on as director and suffered across the board mm-hmm. you know because you know movie movie making is not you know binary it's it's the alchemy and if you're not you know being able to commit yourself 100 percent, you know and your vision isn't clear and, and you're stumbling you know because you can't you know juggle all those pins or whatever juggling you juggle refrigerators doesn't matter um you know Wait, the, the you movie juggle was, refrigerators is that what you just said i i well, okay i didn't see a guy juggle refrigerators this hard guy balanced like a maybe it was a motorcycle it doesn't matter um um you know at the end of the day we want the best batman movie of ben affleck that we can get and if this is what's going to take then i support it um in other uh, screen news. In this case, the silver. Wait, is it silver screen? Is the small screen? Uh, I think silver screens like movies. Small screen. I think you would say for. On a small screen, silver screen. This is not worth looking up, man. I'm just oh, okay. Well, anyway, um, I I always say that from silver screen. Whether it's for movies or TV shows, I never got it. Um, understood why it is what it is, but it doesn't matter. Uh, the the long percolating cloak and dagger. I've wanted to use the word percolating all day. Uh, cloak and dagger TV show has cast its lead, so that show is full steam ahead. We've got Olivia Holt as dagger and Aubrey Joseph as cloak. 
David, tell me a little bit about Olivia Holt and Aubrey Joseph. Oh, man, these are two human beings who I obviously know a lot about. Uh, and I am not at all Googling at this very moment to be able to tell you more about them. Uh, Olivia Holt, you would probably know from such properties as Disney Channel original series. I didn't do it, according to Wikipedia. Uh, you know, just honestly looking at her stuff, uh, it is not anything that I am aware of. Um Nothing that I have seen as far as she is concerned. And what's the the gentleman's name? Is uh, Aubrey Joseph? Uh, that's Aubrey Joseph, yeah. Aubrey Joseph, who is uh, also extremely famous for um, e- existing. Uh, Actually, I just I just googled him, and nothing comes nothing up. Nothing comes him up. As an actor. He has well, he has a Wikipedia, or not? Not a Wikipedia. He has a. IMDb, uh, IMDb. He was apparently on the night of, which was supposed to be very good. Um, oh, yeah, I did hear that it was good, but nothing. Again, these are these are people I have not seen in anything. I'm not super excited about Cloak and Dagger personally, uh, but I'm sure for someone out there, this is very exciting news. They are they, they seem appropriate age wise for the demographic they're going for. They've got the look, so yeah. Hopefully, hopefully it's good, and it it resonates well with its intended audience which mm-hmm. may or may not be me is probably not me let's be honest nick your thoughts will you be watching this show um being that i seem to be really bad at keeping up with just about any tv right now being that video games have seemed to have consumed my basic when any any um entertainment consumption time that i tend i seem to have uh or the little consumption time that i seem to have um not immediately. Certainly, if I start to hear really, really good things about it, and that's worth checking out, and I like the production values and all that, uh, then certainly I, I'll at least watch the first episode. Um, but I mean, there's obviously there's a ton of good TV out right now, none of which I'm watching. Um, so I mean, I, I certainly don't want to be like I'm. I'm certainly not so gung ho about this that I'm I, I'm chopping at the bit for it to come out. But at the end of the day, I obviously wish it well, and I hope it finds its audience and that it deserves its audience. And I wish everyone on the production team the best of luck. Well, all right. I think that's really all we can say about it at this time. Cool. They cast some leads. Hopefully things start going forward for them. Unlike Star Trek Discovery, which seems to be dead in the water. But this is not that kind of podcast. So, Wait, why is Star Trek Discovery in the water? I thought it was... Uh, Brian Fuller left. There's no discussed... Um, I mean, there's people who have been cast, but now it's indefinitely delayed which is pretty bad for a show. Typically uh, they like they had, you know, early 2007, uh, May 2007 or not 2007, 2017. Damn. May 2017 and now it's uh, indefinitely whenever it comes out. Interesting. Um well, I mean, apparently they just released teaser for teaser's new uniform sets and anyway, we're not the Star Trek show. Um and uh, David, uh, this seems to be a new story near and dear to your heart. Why don't you tell us about DC's plans for Snagglepuss? Ha uh, ha. So DC has had some success with their Hanna-Barbera properties. Uh, and the new one seems to be coming, which is Snagglepuss. And this one is set to focus on 1950s gay culture in Broadway. Uh, the character of Snagglepuss will be reinvented as a gay Southern Gothic playwright a la Tennessee Williams with Huggleby Hound as his William Faulkner type guide into the New York socialite scene. Um, uh, looks like it'll be written by Mark Russell, who is also writing the Flintstones. I don't see anything about. I thought the uh, Howard Porter was doing the art. Is it Howard Porter doing the art? Okay. I think so i really want to say that i saw him uh listed somewhere it doesn't matter well i mean it doesn't matter yeah, shut up um obviously the artist matters it's a comic book uh and it, okay it is howard porter's okay. first look at mark russell and howard porter's Post comic which oh, is cool, interesting cool. i think howard porter was doing the art on scooby apocalypse as well uh that is correct so either he's pulling double duty or he has already or he's left that book to work on Snagglepuss. Either way, David, what are your – I mean, I'll be honest. Uh, I, I, I'm i sure as a child I watched some, you know, Snagglepuss segments, but he's, he's not a character that ever la- left a lasting impression on me. So, I mean, this is the first time I've thought of Snagglepuss in maybe ever. 
Um, but do, do you have any childhood memories of Snagglepuss? You know, how does this this reinvention, you know, sound to you? Uh, tell me what you think. Uh, so Snagglepuss is a character that would appear in other cartoons that I was watching, you know. Uh, he was always the uh, exit stage left. Even I can't do a good Snagglepuss impression, so I'm not going to attempt to. Uh, you know, I have memories of him, but not of any specific stories involving him. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he's he's kind of in in my pop culture tank, as it were. Um, I I think growing up and reflecting on the character because I would watch like a bunch of stuff that I used to watch, and uh, I you know I'm sure he popped up on uh, what's it called um. The TV show that I really like uh, about Harvey Birdman, attorney at law. That's it. I'm sure he he showed up there, and there were probably hints at, you know, at his sexuality in more of like a joking way. And by the way, every time you type, it's it's pretty loud. Uh, just just letting you know. And uh, I I I think you know, given given the reasons that they talk about for why you know why Russell says they're gonna do it, uh, it makes sense to me. It's I really like what they've been doing with the Hanna Barbera cartoons. So it's very interesting that they're going to get to explore uh this. And, you know, it seems and I love that D C and Hanna Barbera are also like, Yeah, go for it. Make make uh Scooby Doo about a weird apocalypse thing. Make Flintstones a really great weird hipster book make Snagglepuss about the 1950s gay culture on Broadway. Like, go for it. They're not... And this is, you know, this is probably the most, uh, I, I would say, relevant in, like, a political way. Uh, and it's... I, I'm just way behind them doing it. And I'm, I, I'll am i probably pick up the first issue out of curiosity. I don't know if I'll... I will pursue the book past that. But, you know, you never know. Maybe I will. Cool. Uh, I mean, I'm on the same boat. Uh, you know, I think it's a really interesting reinvention concept for the character. Um, I've heard really good things about Mark Russell's Flintstone, and uh, yeah. I believe he also did the short-lived Prez series during the DCU error. Um, and I heard really good things about that. So he seems to be a, a guy that does have his pulse on the current political climate going on in the world and finds a way to rope that into these, you know, fun pop culture icons. Um so obviously, maybe if you disagree with the politics, you'll probably hate it. But if you're kind of on board with it, then maybe you'll enjoy it. Who knows? We'll find out when Snagglepuss releases someday. I don't think there's actually a firm release date yet. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, there will be the first story. Uh, a backup story will appear in Suicide Squad Banana Splits Annual, which hits shelves March 29th. Oh, so, that's that's one of their their DC Hanna Barbera crossover books, right? Yeah, uh, and so this will follow in the fall of this year, with Russell estimating its release in September or October. No, well, at the time of this, it says no ongoing artist announced. So maybe this is just a little behind the other article that you found. Probably, yeah. I mean, I found another news article saying Howard Porter was attached, but we shall see. But and this is interesting. Um, I'd be honest. I don't. But I don't ever look at this list. Though I occasionally see such and such book is a New York Times number one bestseller. Blah blah blah. But New York Times will no longer actually publish a bestseller graphic novel and manga list list. Yes. Uh, interesting. Yeah. So I'm sure people know New York Times bestseller comes up every once in a while. You see it on a book. But this was also uh, something that happened with. Um, with you know graphic novels and and manga and the like and that you know watchmen was on that list at least once every few years for whatever reason uh it's you know it's just kind of sad i think it talks more about the trends of print journalism and all that and how things are going there and the state Mm -hmm. of of the new york times and what their focus is and i would you know the the bestseller um you know, the bestseller list just probably isn't really doing much for them in general. It's not clickbaity enough, guys. You aren't clicking those those bestseller lists. Get on it. Um Yeah, I mean, that is kind of a sorry state that most the most things that usually gets the most traction is clickbait articles. Um and obviously I always hit myself when I click on one that was obviously clickbaity. Uh not to say that I don't think New York Times does that a, a lot, but um 
though apparently this was one of many um, bestseller lists that they've apparently have axed starting with their February edition. Um, so they probably weren't uh, they weren't singling out comic books per se, but they made some kind of internal decision that this may have been for, like, is in their mind the the right um, the the right move to make. I don't know. I can't I can't talk. Apparently, no, no. It, uh, yeah. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, like when it, maybe because you know maybe sometimes with a book I might sometimes grace like the a bestseller list and be like, oh, like what are the best selling books right now? You know, but I'm my I don't have my thumb on like the pulse you know, of, like, regular prose paperback books or whatever these days. So it's, like, I kind of wait until, like, whatever the popular book kind of hits the fan, and I'm like, oh, okay, maybe I'll check that out. But comic books, obviously, I would say you and I especially, you know, like, we're following the news constantly. We know the big books that are coming out, like, it's either something that's going to interest us or it's not, and the, a bestseller list isn't really going to um, sway us very much as far as if we're going to check out a book no, you know no. what i mean yeah i think a lot of it just sounded nice for like a graphic novel or for like a manga be like well this is a, a new york times bestseller which oh, is definitely from i'm sure from the, the the people producing the the content you know it was a good marketing push for them which is still not a metric i fully understand what qualified them to be a bestseller but you know it yeah. feels like an institution going away and that's that's a little bit sad anytime that happens yeah. Yeah, that is true. But you know what? Time flows and humanity survives until the meteors come, as some wise person probably once said. Yeah, I'm sure that um, was. I'm sure that's word for word. Word. I mean, legit word for. And you know what? Comic books also came out this week. We can't forget about those. So, David, why don't you lead us into the pull list? To the Batmobile. Let's go. <laughs> Comics did indeed come out this week, and we're going to talk to you about some of them. Nick, I believe that you read the Justice League of America Rebirth one-shots. Why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about those? Sure can, David. Um, so, I mean, I didn't, I'm not talking about one book. I'm actually talking about four, but I figured because they're all, they all have connective tissue, and I'm really not going to get super deep into their stories, so it's all good. Um I have not read, just disclaimer, I have not read Justice League versus Suicide Squad, the recently wrapped DC event, um, which pitted Justice League versus the Suicide Squad. Um, but I guess basically the, the, the end result of that book, I think, has led to, is leading to um, multiple DC story strands over the next year. But a big thing that it's helping launch is the new Justice League of America book being written by Steve Orlando. I think Ivan Reese is doing the art for the first arc. Uh, I'll have to double check that. But anyway, leading into both, basically on the tail end of, well, actually, I think some of them came out concurrently with uh, Justice League versus Suicide Squad, and they're all leading into Justice League of America Rebirth. And it features four characters that will be part of the cast, which includes the Atom, the Ray, the, no, okay, it's just Vixen, um, and Killer Frost. Mm. Um, many people might know the Adam as Ray Palmer. Uh, he's had an interesting history, probably since the identity days of identity crisis. I feel like he hasn't just been like an ongoing hero for a while. He kind of comes and goes, but, um, shortly after the identity crisis book from DC way back when, um, a new Adam was introduced named Ryan Choi, a character that, you know, had a, a small but strong following of fans uh, for the short time that he was in publication. I want to say he got killed in the previous history or he just simply faded into obscurity um, or maybe he was just ended up being replaced by Ray Palmer again. But it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, when we moved from the old DCU into the new 52, Ray, Ryan Choi was nowhere to be found. Um, but now as a result of Rebirth, we're bringing him back. Um, so for those that had read the DC Rebirth uh, special, you'll know that Ryan, Ray Palmer is trapped in the microverse and he's tasked uh, Ryan Choi with saving him. And that's basically what the Adam one-shot gets into is revealing like how the dynamic and relationship between Ryan and Ray developed. Uh, Ryan was, was one of his students uh, and also ties into the scene that you see in the Rebirth special how this ultimately brings Ryan Choi into the the mix with the new Justice League of America team remains to be seen. Um, but I'm sure that will be revealed in the first issue of Justice League of America. I mean, when it comes to Ryan Choi, uh, 
from what little I'd read of him back in his previous iteration, I, I liked him. Um, so it's nice to see him back in, in the, the, in the DC publication. Um, you know, that's, that's really good. Uh, killer, (laughs) killer frost is a brilliant scientist who you're probably familiar with as she's been featured on the last three seasons, three seasons of the flash. Um, she has incredible ice powers, but at the cost of needing to consume the heat of other living beings, at least in the one shot I described, it didn't explain why she needs to consume it from other living organic creatures and why she can't just stand next to like a heat vent or something to get them. But ultimately, her need to uh, suck the heat out of them kills them. So that's Killer Frost. She's been um, in Bellary Prison operating as a Suicide Squad agent. But I guess events that I have not read in the uh, JL versus Suicide Squad event um she's being released from the squad custody and to batman's custody as a member of the new league um her introduction was interesting because it basically was about amanda waller not wanting to let her go and basically setting up a series of of trials and tests that are trying to try to get her to kill another person basically as an excuse to keep her in bella reeves so that she can use her and ultimately killer frost perseveres but it leaves this sort of cloud hanging over you that that it's just a matter of time before she has to kill someone again and what that might, you know, what she'll endure and, and what that, the consequences of that might be. Cause ultimately she needs, she needs to consume heat and she, uh, heat and she needs to get that somehow. So it's interesting. I'm really not familiar with killer frost at all beyond obviously the much nicer version that shows up on the flash. Cause he's not really killer frost um, on the show. You know, but this kind of gives her as, as someone who's a genuinely good person stuck in an impossible situation and how they cope with it. I think as a narrative goes, that's really compelling. Um, the one shot wasn't overly compelling. And to be honest, all of the one shots weren't like overly compelling. I wasn't like on the edge of my seat reading them. They really just served as introductory primers, getting you up to date on their past and present. But for what was there, the writing was solid. And it's enough that I'm definitely intrigued with the ongoing book that will be coming out this month. Um, um, the third member that they feature was Vixen, uh, who is uh, set up and maybe she was like this in the previous iteration. I really don't know, but she's basically set up as a global fashion icon, basically a, um, what's Tara? Who, who does project one, not project one way. Who does America's next top model? Uh, Tim Gunn. No, 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 Tyra Banks. Banks. Sorry. Tara, Tara, Tyra, Tyra, Tyra. I, I mean, maybe just because uh, I've been subjected to some um, America's Next Top Model not that long ago that like Tower, Tower, Tara <laughs> Banks is in my is kind of like in my my consciousness. Um, but basically, Vixen is is treated as a global fashion icon and entrepreneur who has shied away from accepting her family legacy as the next Vixen, which is the powers to channel all life forms on Earth. Um, basically, she grew up in Africa, or a country in Africa. I don't remember if it was. Um, explained and she because she gets orphaned uh, but not before being entrusted with this fairly family heirloom which ultimately gives her the powers of vixen and can channel different animals basically like animal man but i guess animal man just has innate powers or he's connected to the red vixen has this totem uh, i think it's called the tantu totem um and you know her one shot was interesting it was kind of i don't want to say cliche but it was definitely kind of um not like an original superhero trope. Basically she's living this, this high life, but she's obviously not like, she's still a very conscious person. She's not like over, like she's kind of caught up into it, but basically she overlooks um, someone in need and that sort of propels her to finally accept her destiny and save the day. So, I mean, personality wise, I'm very interested to see how her background is a, a fashion icon entrepreneur will play into her ongoing role in the book uh, and the art the art in the book was really great. I unfortunately don't have it in front of me, so I, I don't remember the name of the artist. I'll try and pull it up real quick. But uh, overall, um, was interesting. And last but not least is the Ray. Um, and this version, the, the Ray has actually had a few different permutations um, in uh, DC publications. This is actually one that I think is being pulled from a Grant Morrison reinvention, which basically recasts him as a uh, a young man. Um, I I, I, I uh, a young man who uh, basically is told as a child that he is allergic to the sun. And so he's basically trapped inside of like uh, a windowless apartment. His mother comes in and she's like super like passive, not like I guess passive aggressive, not even passive, but like aggressive in the sense that like she kind of 
she's victim blaming like he has this condition and she makes him feel bad for it by making it seem like he's making her feel bad for having to be stuck with his condition um, or stuck taking care of him with his condition. There's an indication that his father has powers that the Ray ultimately discovers to have. So I don't know if he's the son of a previous Ray that gets established, but uh, ultimately at, at, when he reaches adulthood, he decides he would rather die than be trapped in the room and he makes his escape. Uh, it turns out when he gets outside, he basically bursts into sunlight uh, and then turns invisible. So I think because he is light, I guess that there's the whole thing that you can make things invisible by the way that you bend the light. So he ends up going invisible and traveling the world uh, and kind of seeing all the crap that we, we do to ourselves. Um, but ultimately gets spurred to action when a childhood friend um, that he hasn't seen since childhood uh, gets put in harm's way. But the friend's also like in a position to like, he, he's running for mayor of, of the town of the city that he lives in. Uh, and that sort of spurs Ray, who he's called the Ray. His name is also Ray. Hmm, not very so I, think that, I think that's interesting, I guess. We'll see how that plays out. You know, I'm the Nick. This, you know, I, I leave little little nicks in walls. Um, I'm terrible. I hate myself. Um, but anyway, so all in all, the one such were, were, were solid introductions to the characters. It definitely got me primed and ready for the book, so I'm, I'm glad I read them. Um, I, like I said, they weren't high literature or anything like overly compelling, but uh, definitely if you're not familiar with these characters, uh, I would say it's smart to pick them up and give them a shot. <laughs> I like what I did there. Um, but yeah, so overall I had a satisfied reading experience. David, why don't you tell me about Old Man Logan number 17? All right. Old Man Logan number uh, 17 is the continuing ongoing stories of old man logan in the marvel 616 marvel prime whatever the hell it is called these days it's marvel uh, marvel 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 is that what that's what the planet's called <laughs> marvel it's, marvel it's earth marvel marvel anyway <laughs> uh this is the second book in the current story so still written by jeff lemire uh with art by andrea sorrentino uh and in this storyline there is a call, a distress call from a space station uh, from Alpha Flight, and they request Logan to come up. He goes up there and finds Puck, who is a member of Alpha Flight, and they, uh, he says that, you know, the brood showed up and is, is causing problems. Uh, but also, while they're trying to figure out what's going on there, Logan keeps finding himself back in the Wasteland, which the Wasteland is the futuristic world that he's, well, not futuristic, the future world that he's from, where villains have had their uprising and done their destruction. And he, this issue sees him going back in between those two worlds. Uh, both are pretty horrifying. Both are these sort of dystopias. Uh, in the Wasteland, he's trying to find the the grandson of banner who apparently was taken by kang um and that is also kind of revealed that there's you know something really big is going on uh puck may or may not know what's happening it's all just very confusing and crazy and uh the old man logan book i was really disappointed in the first arc that it was all just set up for an X-Men book that I had no intention of reading since mm -hmm. then, I would say I've enjoyed it a bit more. Uh, I would say this arc is shaping up to be very interesting in a number of ways, not just uh, it. So a lot of these issues have dealt and a lot, a lot of the story, the, the two previous storylines, sorry, I'm kind of having some trouble getting my words uh, all, all correct. But the first couple of storylines after that initial one were basically Logan dealing with stuff that with people in the future timeline that he hadn't met yet. You know, he goes to Japan and he deals with uh, this mutant that he was going to come across one day. He goes and tries to save his, well, who would be his, you know, future wife um, from getting abused by her father and ends up causing a lot of problems there. So this is kind of the first one that's not dealing specifically with in the present day storyline with something that happened in the dystopian future. Mm -hmm. uh, but they are still dealing a lot with, you know, what's going on in the dystopian future in a very strange way. These things are intermingled. Uh, it's hard to tell exactly what's happening. And I enjoy that aspect of it. 
Um, I thought the reveal of this issue, the the person that maybe is behind everything, was like too obvious, and I I feel like there it's it's not all is not as it seems still, and there's another layer beyond what we're seeing at this one, so I'm not, you know, I'm not ready to cry foul uh, at this point, uh, but if this were like if this were the ultimate reveal, it would be far too obvious, which is why I feel like it's not. Uh, Sorrentino's art really does continue to impress. I would say this issue, you know, there's uh, just his, his panel layouts are just so, so damn impressive. Uh, Mm -hmm. this issue being no exception, there's a nice two page spread. That's a bunch of little box panels of action that are just really, really cool work really, really well. There, um, is interesting ones of, you know, kind of the world falling apart, there's ones of characters, you know, masks being the panels on the pages. Hmm. So, uh, there's like this has really been, I think, Sorrentino kind of at at his best for, uh, for a bit and really getting to play around. And I would recommend this book to people purely to investigate deeper into Sorrentino's art. Uh, cause it's, it's really is a, a tour de force in this book. And I do enjoy the story though. I know not everyone is, but what are you going to do? Can't please everyone all the time. I'm enjoying old man Logan. We'll see where this story goes. I'm liking that. It's a little bit different than previous iterations and mm-hmm. we'll, well, maybe, maybe we'll check back in in a couple issues when things start to wrap up. So that's going to, sure. and you know that, uh, old man Logan is, uh, it's heading towards its end game, right? It maybe has like another arc after the one you're reading. Um, I didn't, you know, I hadn't followed the news on that. I'm not surprised. I this is a book, you know, it. I don't think it can go on forever. Uh, mm. I, I would kind of like to see the character return to their storyline, their timeline. Uh, I don't know if that's what they're gonna do, or if they're just gonna kind of shutter this book and then keep this old man Logan bouncing around the Marvel universe, or if they're gonna finally revive regular logan well he is going to be appearing in the upcoming weapon x book that marvel will be launching so i don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon okay so they're just shuttering this book essentially yeah yeah but for all we know they'll relaunch it with a different creative team oh what marvel doesn't do that ever that's so crazy (laughs) why would you suggest that Uh, it's my pad but i mean and when they do i will probably not continue to read it but maybe I will. Maybe it'll prove me wrong. We'll see. I tend to, I tend to, you know, kind of follow Lemire around Marvel. That's kind of my Marvel reading path. It's like, what is Lemire writing? That's not <laughs> directly an X Men book. Have you been caught up on Moon Knight? I kind of stopped after that initial arc. I'm a couple issues behind. Um, I want to get caught up on it again. So, we'll, you know, I'll I'll, I'll check in on that. Uh, I know a new issue came out this week, so maybe when i get caught back up next issue i'll talk about it sounds good all right well that's gonna do it for our discussion of what comes out this week you and i did not read any uh of the same books which means that we are going to dive into a discussion topic discussion it's over nine thousand nick you brought this topic to the table so why don't you go ahead and and brief us on it I will brief everyone, but keep your pants on. Um, so basically what I thought we could discuss today is something that I, I definitely see when I'm you know perusing various comic or video game or basically any type of entertainment form, any consumable entertainment from comics to movies to video games to doesn't matter. Um, you know, and I always will see the comments where it's like, keep the politics out of my, you know, out of my entertainment or, or keep reality out of my entertainment. I'm not reading this to learn about the real world. I'm learning. I'm reading this to escape. Yada, 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 yada. Um, I, in my head, it's like I never knew how to verbalize, um, you know, why it's like when I would read those comics, I'd usually instantly roll my eyes and be like, you don't get it or whatever my internal response is. Um, but I Frankly, I now don't have to um, because we're going to touch on something that Stan Lee said back in good googly moogly. It happened in Fantastic Four. Well, I guess in multiple magazines, but oh, 
uh, dated April 1970. So it's been quite a while since he said this, but I think his words, especially given the, the, the current events of, of now, um, are still relevant. Uh, from Stan's soapbox from the 1970s, he said, from time to time we receive letters from readers who wonder why there's so much moralizing in our mags. They take great pains to point out that comics are supposed to be escapist reading and nothing more. But somehow I can't see it that way. It seems to me that a story without a message, however subliminal, is like a man without a soul. In fact, even the most escapist literature of all, old-time fairy tales and heroic legends, contained moral and philosophical points of view. At every college campus where I may speak, there's as much discussion of war and peace, civil rights, and the so-called youth rebellion as there is of our Marvel mags per se. None of us lives in a vacuum. None of us is untouched by the everyday events about us. Events which shape our stories just as they shape our lives. Sure, our tales can be called escapist, but just because something's for fun doesn't mean we have to blanket our brains while we read it. Excelsior, Stan Lee. <laughs> um, love that, man. But uh, also, I, I, I would kill just to like go back in time and be able to sit in on a college class that Stan Lee is lecturing at. That just sounds awesome. Um, so... I think at the end of the day, I, I think he, he just he makes it very clear that, you know, and I think what he said is that however subliminal, you know, the, the, the stuff that we create should at some in some way reflect on what's going on in the real world, either at a previous point in history or on current events. And I would have to, I mean, it's like you can have brainless stuff like there's absolutely nothing wrong with that kind of fiction or that kind of consumable entertainment. But it's like, I guess for me, my, my entry point in this discussion is thinking of these people that I see in almost every thread that remotely talks about how a book, you know, relates to some current or recent event, um, talking about how, like, you know, get that stuff out of my, you know, out of my comics. And it's just like, okay, well, there's like, I'm sure there's plenty of other things for you to read, you know, that, that don't involve current politics or, or social issues or whatever, you know, you can go con consume that. That's the only reason why this book can't exist or touch on these particular subjects. So it's just like, I don't, especially like I, I've seen certainly a lot on like the, the character of Captain America. And I think that like for a guy that it was introduced to the world, punching out Hitler, like in hindsight, we always, obviously all of us talk about how Hitler is like Hitler, like it's synonymous with like Supreme evil you know, but at the time, obviously, the environment that like World War Two was in, like there were even Americans that supported, you know, Hitler's regime. Like it was never it wasn't black and white as far as like public perception and all that. So, I mean, I, I can only imagine that back in the day when Cap was punching out Nazis, that there were probably people writing in being like, yo, man, why is he punching out Nazis? I hate Jews, too. I agree with them. Like, you know what I mean? So it's. You know, there's certainly, again, I kind of go back to, to the subliminal side. There's certainly a way to touch on current events, you know, without necessarily being super ham-fisted. And maybe that's the line. But at the same time, I don't think there's a problem necessarily with taking some popular fiction, um, pop culture, or superheroes, or sci-fi, or horror, or whatever type of genre you might want to utilize, and, and trying to look at current events, social events, political events, through that lens. Mm -hmm. David, I've mumbled a lot. What are your thoughts? Uh, so I, th I think, you know, you definitely said some fair points. If you look at on both sides of the DC and Marvel aisle, you have, you know, Superman taking on Hitler. You have Captain America punching Hitler. It's the, these characters really, really had it out for Hitler. And obviously we are in a very divisive political climate right now. Uh, so I do agree that there is a place for politics. Um, there are ways to discuss it. I prefer when it's done subtly. You know, I don't want all superhero books to, to be dealing with the wall and, and uh, you know, and a certain person sitting in political power at this very moment. He um, must not be named, a.k.a. I guess Voldemort. But can, can yeah, you know, yeah, we'll just say the name like Donald Trump. I don't really want to like dwell on that too much, though. Um, it, I, I, I definitely see, you know, Yes, Stan Lee has a very great point of um, these tales reflect our current world, our current society, and politics are our current world and current society. So they should there should definitely be a reflection there. I think the difference, uh, you know, difference 
with with like the Hitler analogy, yes, there are some people, a lot of people who view certain people in power right now as akin to Hitler. Not everyone views him that way, though. I think, um, you know, I think it's things are just very divisive right now where direct allegories wouldn't work as well. Uh, you have people on both sides of the aisle on both uh, all over the political spectrum reading comics and loving comics. And it's hard to approach any of that without alienating somebody. Obviously, some creators aren't going to care and they're just going to go for it and good for them. That's their prerogative. Um, but I, I do think that in general, it is something that does have to be handled subtly and, and with a deft hand. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't know if I have much more that even needs to necessarily say about that. I do get the escapism argument. I, I understand. Uh, I understand that, but when it comes down to it, yeah, these are a reflection of our time. And really, I feel like escapism fiction, you know, there's there's a lot of great, a lot of great old superhero books. There's a lot of great indie books that exist uh, for that, you know, not for that purpose, but that, you know, may not approach political topics as much. Uh, and I really view video games as sort of the ultimate escapism fantasy. I don't really know how much else I have to I have to add to that. Well, uh, you know, especially when it comes to video games as someone who's sort of returned to video games in the last year, you know, I think at the end of the day, video games is a, a, a method of entertainment, of, of engaging with some sort of, I keep saying consumable, you know, obviously like, but at the same time, it's, it's all about the content. So you could play a game, you know, a video game, and it could just be about nothing, or it could be about political strife between two warring nations or something that could touch upon you know, past or current events in in the real world. Um, I mean, most of our ideas come from existing in the real world. So as much as video games or comics are, you know, are the ultimate escapism, I, I think, I think my problem is when I read these comments, and this is obviously me speculating on people that I like are just anonymous internet people, but um, I feel like there should be a band name, anonymous internet people. But um, I, I kind of ask myself, like, when these people say like they, they're trying to do it, like they want this stuff to escape from the real world, like how actively, like how much are they actively participating? Like, are they, you know, working well, for some non, you know, you know hold um, up, hold stress? up. I, Sorry. Now I, I, let me just throw out like, you know, Facebook, the political climate, it's, it's everywhere, man. Like I, I log on Facebook these days and I count the number of posts until I see a not political post. And some days it takes a while to get there. Uh, it, it, no matter where you turn, it's, it's everywhere. It's on every website. It's on social media, like all over the place. You can't really fault people for being like, man, I just want to go somewhere in my life where this isn't where, you know, I'm not being bombarded with political views, whether or not, like I agree with them because it can get tiring. Oh, okay. That, that is fair. I, I, sh I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't discount the fact that as far as what we surround ourselves with is being inundated with these type of things. I'm also having a hard time coming up with stuff that is just pure escapism. Like I think, I mean, and certainly I can only really reflect on my own personal, you know, the things that I personally consume. And I feel like the things that I tend to enjoy the most and focus on have some kind of, you know, have a, a touch of reality in them. I mean, actually like I've been consumed playing twilight princess and I guess playing like a Zelda game besides like sort of a pure good versus evil type setup doesn't really get into any, you know, ham-fisted, you know, politicizing or socializing. So, I mean, I think to a certain extent, like there's always those little things, but it's like, it's not like the central conflict or like the central piece of the narrative that you're, you're playing. Um, I think a book that I think does it very well, that I think certainly has a social and political, you know, not agenda, like a slant, a uh, event to it, but does it in a way that I think people can enjoy it regardless of what side of the aisle they fall on is Saga. Because if you read some of the early interviews about Saga, um, it said that Brian K. Vaughn was inspired by like uh, the United States entry into the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, mm -hmm. and the you know as probably as much a, a divisive political climate as it was back then. I'm sure when that was going, we were in like middle school, early high school, so um, I mean like we probably we certainly weren't like in tune to it in the way that our parents and other adults were at the time, you know. But I feel like when I'm reading Saga. I can read it in a way where I'm both, I can acknowledge sort of where like how that might touch on 
you know, a, a current event happening in the world, but also just sort of read it for what it is. Like it's also something that's just happening organically through the in-universe narrative that's been created. You know what I mean? No, yeah, absolutely. Is there any book that you feel like does it poorly? Because I, I do agree, Saga Saga tends to do it very well, and they because that's because it's it's a family drama in this situation. It's not necessarily about the war itself. Uh, a book that does it poorly. I I guess poorly in a, in a way is almost subjective. For example, the um, the Captain America Sam Wilson book, a book that you know any person called Captain America or America whatever, like I think no matter how much you try to not be political, is ultimately going to have some political element to it. And, and I think a lot of people with Steve Rogers had always tried to make him you know as sort of generalized as possible. Um, but with Sam Wilson, I, in, in some ways I find, I thought it was an inspired choice that like, this is a guy that worked as not a social worker. He was like a community organizer, I think basically and before he was a superhero. Um, he's very much a man of the street. Um, and compared to Steve Rogers, who obviously came from, you know, the 1940s, you know, he's a man of the current streets. And when he took on Captain America, he ultimately kind of was pushed into and ultimately decided to take a more political stance to, now that he had this, uh, not pedestal, like a soapbox that you could stand on, that there was a much bigger focus on him because he was Captain America. He used it to sort of, in a way that a celebrity, you know, like no one has to, what some people say they don't care what a celebrity has to say about the world, you know, but just because someone's a celebrity or like a movie star or whatever doesn't make them stupid or not political. But and sometimes that gives them a, a platform, a platform is what I was looking for, to, to use their, their fame to to push their agendas and i don't use the word agenda negatively i don't think there's anything wrong with that word so that's a book where it's being written from the point of view that that sam wilson is like a very liberal you know political version of captain america and the book also does takes its time to touch on the the counter arguments to that but it's obviously done in kind of a ham-fisted way because it's it's i guess when i say ham-fisted it's like it's not it's not trying to do it subtly like it's trying to tie it into current goings on within the Marvel universe, but it's not shying away from the fact that it's like very much about what is currently going on in the world. So it's wearing it right on its, it's wearing it's right on its, its sleeve. Exactly. Yeah. So that's where it's like, obviously if you agree with the book, you can be like, well, I get it. Like I agree with these point of views and I think he's doing it in a creative fun way. I'm sure if you don't agree with those point of views, you're like, this book is ham fisted. It's stupid. It's poorly written. Like sometimes, especially when people don't agree with things, they like it's just ultimately it's it's just bad in their mind like they just they, they see something they don't agree with and it's like that was executed poorly and it's like okay well how how do you feel something that you disagree with could be executed perfectly and i don't think there's a real answer to that um can you think of anything that might be executed poorly um hmm I don't I don't know the title of it I wasn't reading it but I know there was a batman book where uh the penguin was running for mayor and he was saying, um, you know, he was saying we want to keep, you know, the people we don't want out of Gotham. And how are we going to do that? We're going to build a wall around it uh, and having, you know, make Gotham great again, sort of ideal. And that that I think is is too far in, in your obviousness, um, making a supervillain someone, you know, basically making them a hated political figure, I think can be done well. But that's a, an idea of it not being done well. That's where uh, it's like too much on the nose. Yeah, absolutely. And because I, I know, well, the penguin was the mayor in Batman Earth One Volume One, but uh, the only thing I could think of is that he's been recently appearing, or his son has been, and I think also maybe Father Penguin um, <laughs> has been appearing in Batgirl. So that might be the book that that's been cropping up in. Uh, I'm not gonna look it up. I'm I'm like pretty sure that it's the current arc on Batgirl that might be dealing with that, um, but. Uh, our avid listeners, if they are still listening, uh, you could certainly maybe find out for us and write into us and, you know, give us some examples of books that you think can tow the, can, um, capture what's going on in the world today in a way that, you know, doesn't, um, push you out of the story, but actually almost maybe makes you more engaged with current events based on the way that a, a, a piece of fiction might be able to expertly craft it into its narrative and give us examples of things that do it poorly and, whether you fall on one side of the aisle or the other, just let us know what you think. Absolutely. That's what we want.
Yes, we want mail, guys. We want more mail. Please just write out to us and give us your mail. Thank you, please, and bu- goodbye. <laughs> well, before we, uh, we, we do that, though, we will have to throw some recommendations out there. So we have to ask ourselves an important question. You boys aren't nerds, are you? Nick, what do you have to recommend? Shit. Um, I will recommend, because it's the only thing I've been capturing my time for the past half a week, The Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess HD for the Wii U. Dork. Um, What? Oh, did you call me a dork? You're a dork. Shut up. I hate you. Um, uh, I'm recommending it because, I mean, who doesn't like a good Zelda game? And generally... All of the main uh, main uh, consoles, all the games have been basically bastions of their <laughs> bastion um, uh. of their of their time. And Twilight Princess is no different. This is actually a game that I picked up back when it originally came out on the GameCube and slash Wii, but I had it for the GameCube, and I got maybe a dungeon or two in, and then dropped it like a hot potato because I think I just gave up on video games around the same time. Anyway, I'm back. I'm playing it, and I love it. Um, from just small things like I'm just like I'm, I'm Link's running across Hyrule Field, and I'm like I like the way he runs. Um, to just the the dungeon design, um, I'm kind of a I love puzzles, but I hate puzzles. So if the puzzle gets too aggravating, I give up on it. Um, but if it's like just challenging enough, but like not overwhelming, then like I'm I'm totally into it. So at least with Twilight Princess. You know, with Zelda, it's usually like it can be made or you know make or break it when it comes to dungeon dungeon design. I think it does it very well. It's I forgot that despite being a game with the word Twilight in it, it's a much darker aesthetically uh, Zelda game. Um, you know, because you know basically when you're playing as Wolf Link, by the way, Link turns into a wolf if you weren't aware of that. Spoiler, um, like you're hurts. trapped in this Jeez. Twilight. <laughs> Spoilers, yeah, from like 15 years ago. <laughs> Um, you know, you're trapped in this sort of like twilight world that's sort of encapsulated Hyrule, um, and just everything's kind of dark and I don't know, but ultimately like the, in, in Zelda, like people, you don't really think about Zelda as like stories, like the, it has a story, but it's not like constant cutscenes and like, like pushing the plot onto it's like, Oh, that's interesting. Oh yeah. This happened. That happened. Go do that. Like it's much more even though like you can't like manipulate the story in any way, it's still player activated. Um, it's not like pushing you into it, so to speak, but ultimately Twilight princess is an exceptionally good game. And I mean, I can't really tell how upgraded it is as far as the HD is concerned. Um, though I am happy that they chose to make the HD version out of the GameCube version and not the Wii version, because I didn't feel like swinging my arms around with Wii sticks. Uh, so yeah, that's what I recommend Twilight princess HD on the wii u all right very cool well in a similar vein i'm going to be recommending a video game as well uh that i got for fairly cheap um so be on you know i would say be on the lookout for sale but if you don't want to it's actually still really worth the price it is the bioshock collection um and that contains uh bioshock one and two and bioshock infinite and it it has the remasters for those bioshocks as well um and it's all of those plus all the dlc and it usually retails for 59.99 but you can get it for uh, i got it for under 20 dollars. so sales happen uh, with that um but if you never played bioshock they are great atmospheric games uh the first Bioshock is probably one of the best uh, best in terms of atmosphere that I've played in a very, very long time. Bioshock Infinite is not so much atmospheric and creepy, but it is an amazing game that I recommend that people play, and and I absolutely love it. So really, you know, guys, just get out there, check it out, get yourself the Bioshock collection. If you've only ever played Bioshock 1 or Bioshock Infinite, this is a great way to get all the DLC and, uh, and the other games. And... Even at the even at the sixty dollar price tag, entirely worth it. So check out Bioshock Collection. Nice. Yes. That, that one's definitely on. It's it's. I mean, I have a pretty extensive to buy list when it comes to video games, and I've always heard good things of Bioshock. So that one's definitely on my my list. So it's good to know it's on sale. I don't know if it's still on sale, but you know, you can maybe check it out. Well, did you buy it on like Amazon or? No, I bought it. I bought copy? it. I bought it for PC. 
Oh, PC. Uh, PC. Okay. Yeah, ooh, yeah. Well, thank you, everybody, for giving our show a listen. As always, you can head on over to heckyacomics.com for more information about us and ways to contact us. Simplest way to do that is to send us an email, heckyacomics at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at heckyacomics. You can follow me personally on Twitter and Snapchat and Instagram at DavLuz. That is D-A-V-L-U-Z. You can find Nick attempting to learn how to juggle refrigerators Spoiler alert, he's never going to do it. You can, of you, course, know. you can, of course, find this show next week. Same heck yeah time, same heck yeah channel. Worst episode ever.